Qantas engulfed by a PR nightmare. What the new CEO has to do to restore public trust in the airline. Also today, it is upfront season. We take a look at what the big media companies will do and why they need a win. And does the advertising industry have a problem with feedback? Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, a discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm Michael Thompson, and I'm joined every week by my colleague, Adam Lang. Adam, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. This is going to be a cracker of a show today because there is really one story that everybody is talking about and has been talking about for the last few days, actually for the last few weeks, really, and that is Qantas. So let's jump straight into it because this is a story that, that just combines so many things, so many elements, You've got business and branding and politics and PR and marketing and trust, really kind of trust is, is, is at the heart of all of this. In a, in a bit of a nutshell, if I could summarize everything that has happened with Qantas over the last little while into one nut. First, they had a record $2.5 billion profit, which is good for shareholders, great for shareholders. But then, pretty much straight after that, you had CEO, then-CEO, Alan Joyce, having to front a Senate committee looking at the cost of living. Not a good look when a lot of that record profit has come from much higher airfares. Then Qantas and the government had to answer questions about the government's decision uh, to block Qatar Airways from adding extra flights to and from Australia, which would have brought fares down for customers. Again, not a good look. Then there was an ongoing saga with hundreds of millions of dollars worth of COVID credits for flights. The airline had to do a backflip on that one and remove the expiry date. Uh, Surprise, surprise, not a good look again. Then this time last week, the consumer watchdog, the ACCC, announced that it was taking legal action in the federal court against Qantas for continuing to sell tickets. This This is quite remarkable for continuing to sell tickets for already cancelled flights last year. And thousands of flights. This wasn't just a handful of them. It was thousands of them. And also not informing passengers that their flights had been cancelled. Sometimes for weeks, weeks went by before the passengers actually knew. So the ACCC is seeking fines of upwards of $250 million. This is not just a bad look. This was an absolute body blow for the airline, a PR nightmare, I think it's it's fairly safe to say. And so then this week, really, perhaps not such a surprise given everything that was happening, Alan Joyce announced that he would bring forward his departure from the airline and uh, new CEO Vanessa Hudson uh, would start today. Today being Wednesday, it is her first day in the new job. That was a fairly lengthy preamble. Adam, but I think it's worth it just to kind of, this has all happened in the last, what, nine, 10 days? Like that is quite extraordinary. Uh, the the amount of turmoil that we have had in such a short period of time. And I'm, I'm very interested in your take on all of this because you've been in the business world a, a very long time. And you have been the CEO of an ASX listed company and you now coach other CEOs and executive teams. Looking at it from an outsider's perspective, Vanessa Hudson has an incredibly tough job to do coming into this, and it's happening two months earlier than she expected it to. Where would you start? Where would you even start walking into this going, all right, better roll the sleeves up? So, Michael, Mumbrella Cast, this is designed to cover everything under the banner of media and marketing. And this PR crisis fits squarely into it. Alongside that, I would say 
this has to be one of the most excruciating periods of time that I've seen any company go through. Now, imagine being a new CEO being inducted into the role during this time. It's extraordinary. So it has to be a reset. So much has gone wrong. She knows the company so well. She really now has to get that executive team around her to form the company anew with customers right at the centre. And, you know, this almost seems obvious to say that customers have to be at the centre of every business. They should be. But this recent set of events, as you've described in the introduction, there are so many examples where that didn't happen, where they did not put customers at the centre and it didn't go well and just over time it's revealed itself. And so that reset has to be really wholesome. Now, you can imagine the nature of that task. They've got about, what, 30,000 employees. They've got hundreds of thousands, millions of customers. The scale of this turnaround is going to be fascinating. So really, I wish her the best of luck. I think like many of us, I want Qantas to succeed. I don't want Qantas to diminish through this process. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's actually well said because really this is the national carrier and it is a, a brand that I think a lot of people have a connection to. And so you do want to see it succeed. I, I want to come to trust in a minute because I mentioned that in the intro, Adam, and that, that really it feels like trust is at the heart of this. But before we do that, you made a couple of comments about Vanessa Hudson and what she's going to do on her first day. And I suppose Looking at at where she has come from, and that is from within Qantas, because she's been at the airline since 1994, started as an auditor, and has worked in a huge range of roles, has, has gathered a lot of experience across the company, from kind of catering product manager into in-flight services general manager, had kind of international roles as well, chief customer officer. Most recently, she's been the, the chief financial officer. So very senior, very experienced. But does that also go against her at all or anyone coming into the CEO role with that CV behind her? because she's been part of the senior leadership team of Qantas when all of these problems have been happening. Does that make it harder uh, for Vanessa Hudson to differentiate herself from Alan Joyce? Does she need to be even more decisive to basically say, that was then, this is now, this is how we're going to operate? I think that last point is the right one, Michael. That was then and this is now. And I'm sure you can look at your own career, as I hope everyone listening to this podcast can feel. When you start a new job, even if you've been in that company before, whenever you start a new job, it's different. You know, for Vanessa Hudson, she's not been the CEO before. She's not been empowered on behalf of the board to execute the best interests of the company. So this is new for her. I would say the only way to look at it is that she has got this huge bank of knowledge about Qantas that so few people do have. So she can go in really not having to do much due diligence. She's already done it. She spent nearly 30 years there. So she can now leverage that probably like very few other people can. She's empowered on behalf of the board. She's empowered on behalf of shareholders to do the best for the company as CEO. This is a new beginning. And so I think all she can do is take the assets she has and use them at her disposal. The challenge that she is facing is a massive one. And I think that at the heart of it is trust. 
as we, we mentioned before. And, and there's some great stats, and we've, we've covered this on Mumbrella this week, and there's some terrific articles on the website that are worth having a look at. But according to the June 2023 Roy Morgan Risk Monitor Survey, which, which measures levels of, of trust and distrust as well of Australian brands, Qantas is the country's most distrusted airline, which is pretty damning. But it actually gets worse because of the thousand plus brands that the survey covers across 26 industries, Qantas is the 13th most distrusted brand in the country overall. Extraordinary. You compare that to a year earlier, just one year earlier, Adam, and this kind of goes to that point of how quickly this is all unraveled for Qantas. And 12 months ago, the airline was the sixth most trusted brand overall behind Woolies and Coles and Bunnings and Aldi and Kmart. And there was Qantas sitting in number six. Like it's hard to achieve that, right? It's That's a really good achievement to get there. Yeah. And so is that is that what this issue is now, trying to restore that public trust? And how on earth do you do it? <laughs> so that's a great question. And there's probably no simple answer, but it starts with what is the promise of the brand? And you have to start there. What am I expecting as a customer? If you build everything back from the customers, whether that is your flying passengers, whether that is your suppliers and marketing partners, the people who sell you planes, whether it is your staff, what do all those key stakeholder groups want from you? What do they want from Qantas and living up to that promise? And so that is even by its nature across those different cohorts, you can hear, well, that means lots of different things to lots of different people. So you've got to have the power to decide what your brand is, what you're going to stand for and deliver it. You have to do what you say is on the label. Now, with flying, it's obviously different to many brands is that your own personal safety is taken account. It's not just convenience, I want to get from A to B. Minimum expectation is I get there safely and at least in as good condition as I left, you know, that my bags are there, the plane took off on time, hopefully, and that I got there safely and well. And so there's so many things that need to go right for that to happen. Qantas has been able to deliver that for a long period of time. So they know they're capable of it, but they have changed their operations. They have subcontracted different things. They've changed their arrangements with their workforce. From my perspective, as a a member of the customer base, I would want them to start working backwards from me or pretend that I'm a member of staff or a supplier, what do we all need from you to operate at our very best and go from there? Uh, It's an exciting transformation. But one of the points that I think is within the trust statistics that you mentioned, Michael, having gone from in the most trusted cohort up to the end of June, they dropped like a stone. It has gone into a distrusted category and And that is a powerful and negative change in such a small period of time. Really, 12 months is a lot to lose. And how are they going to get it back? And remember, that survey was only up to the end of June. Much of what we're talking about now in your introduction has happened since June. Good point. So arguably, they've got more to fall in that barometer before they can seek to correct it. The the worst is yet to come. It it could be on on that barometer. Uh, But I hope that the correction starts now. All right, Adam, I want you to put your marketing cap on 
now. Uh, and <laughs> I'm going to, let me just paint a little picture here of Adam Lang, who, who does resemble today slightly the marketing professor because he's got a very nice uh, blazer, a very kind of academic looking blazer with a, a sweater of some... Uh, a jaunty shirt. Yes, and a, and a shirt underneath it. And I would suspect some nice leather loafers as well, if I can just look under the table. Yes, leather loafers. There they are. And But no elbow patches. So this is the one thing that we are missing to create this image. But anyway, you are essentially the closest thing I have at my disposal right now to a marketing professor. <laughs> Putting that marketing cap on, is it time for a new campaign? Do you need fresh perspectives on this? Is it a case of going back to what has worked in the past and looking at kind of the the Australian children's choir and uh, kind of the, the I still call Australia home and and those fantastically iconic ads that we all associate with Qantas? Is it a case of going back to that and reminding people of why Qantas has been one of our favourite brands for so long, or is it time for new perspectives? new teams and an entirely new take to actually help that renewal and the refresh of the brand? I think it's the latter. I would say it would be such a shame if that campaign stops. I love it. I think it speaks to so many of the reasons of why we travel. But it has to acknowledge where the brand is at right now. So I don't think it can really do that alone if it chooses to continue with that campaign, it has to really come back to why we deserve to trust Qantas again. It has to really explain the brand promise and say how it's going to deliver it. And there's a whole range of ways that they can do that. I think it's a it's a ripping marketing challenge. I mean, as a brand challenge, it's just fantastic. It Obviously, it is in a dark place and it needs to get better, but that is absolutely achievable. And we know we'll, we'll have experts listening to this podcast going, yeah, let me add it. I've got some great ideas, creative, renewed, totally new, all of the above can work. So I think marketing and brand has to be positioned in this. I would just say that that has to evolve somewhat given the trust rebuild that needs to take place. It has to be authentic. It has to be deliverable. And they've really got no option but to deliver it. If they say they're going to do it, they have to be able to achieve it. And I suppose the new CEO, Vanessa Hudson, would be coming in basically with a mandate for change as well now, that that the reason that Alan Joyce brought forward his retirement was to speed up that renewal process. So really, kind of all bets are off really, that anything could be considered now in order to help re-establish Qantas with Australian consumers. I think that's really true, Michael. I think that it's unlikely that the challenges are over, right? And the atmosphere in which Vanessa Hudson was appointed to the one in which she actually takes control today has changed. And like any leadership role, you can't wish for something You have to deal with what you've got, and that indeed is what she has, and that's what Qantas has at the moment. So I hope she gets every support from the board to enforce a mandate for change uh, and deliver it in the soonest time frame possible. You have brought up the board, so I'm going to seize on that because you 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 volunteered that just then. So I I did. I would. It would be remiss of me not to ask you about it. 
how much responsibility does the board, and I know we're getting a little bit away from the media and marketing side of things, but how much responsibility does the board have to take for the turmoil that the company is in right now? So to describe it basically, the board is responsible for oversight and the executive is responsible for execution. So you would say on an oversight matter, has the board done a great job? And I don't think you can say they have because this is the situation they are in. They are there to support, guide and oversee the executive, mostly through the chief executive officer. So really, uh, they're in this too and they will want to fix this. If you've made it to a career level where you are a board member, you have a lot of pride and you want to be getting it right. So all of them will acknowledge where they are at. They may have different views on who's responsible to what degree for what, but all of them are in this and all of them have to support fixing it. So the board, again, must give great oversight and support to Vanessa Hudson in this new role. One last question, Uh, and uh, there is a fantastic piece on Mumbrella at the moment by our colleague, Nathan Jolly, uh, who spoke to a number of experts on crisis management. And one of those that he spoke to was Peter Wilkinson, who is the chair of Wilkinson Butler, who basically said, and I'm paraphrasing here, basically said, fix the operational problems. That's the, the, the very first thing that you need to do is actually just fix the issues that the airline has because a lot of the root cause problems here are operational. He said that that corporate affairs need to take some responsibility too because they were not crisis fit, I think is the term that he used. And that a lot of what happened was essentially forecastable, that they could have seen, if not seen it coming, at least be prepared for those things that came up. But this line, this line kind of really uh, stuck out for me. He said, however, Qantas customers are well-educated and savvy. Once the issues are fixed, the reputation repair will be relatively quick. Which I thought is quite an interesting take that that really fix the core problems at the airline and the travellers will come back. This is a terrific article by Nathan Jolly. And those perspectives, I think, are excellent, right? I don't disagree I would offer an and to that, is that fixing the operational aspects sounds simple, but it isn't. And I'm sure that's exactly what that quote is is geared towards. But I think it has to go deeper to the reason why, as in, why are we here? How do we serve customers? And all the operational elements flow from that. And that sense of purpose around getting those 30,000 staff, getting those hundreds of thousands, millions of customers, and getting those partners that they have, suppliers, all aligned to that is really important. So I'd say it's, yeah, fix the operations and demonstrate the why so that when people are going about their jobs or people are being a customer, they know exactly what they're getting when they invest their time, money and effort with this brand and what they're going to get in return. So I'd say there's a, there's a big coexistence of purpose alongside this. There's a, uh, in that article by Nathan, there are some fantastic photos and it's worth just go, going to check this out because they are some of the quite, vintage, the vintage photos of, of Qantas back in, arguably you would say now back in its heyday. Uh, and 
goodness me, people dressed well to fly. Those 70s outfits are really extraordinary. <laughs> oh, yeah, and just the, the lounge suits and just the, and everyone's hair was done mm. neatly. And you wouldn't, you, I guarantee you would not see a pair of thongs on one of those flights. The golden age. Do you think they should bring back John Travolta as a brand ambassador again? Maybe that's the reset they need. Oh, God. Uh, let me consider that. <laughs> Put your marketing cap back on and consider that one and yeah. maybe dismiss it just as quickly. All right. Now, Adam, we've got a lot of other things we need to cover. We will come back in just a moment and get into some of the other stories that are on mumbrella.com.au this week. Now, Adam, we are each picking out a story that Mumbrella has covered this week and bringing it to the table for discussion. What have you chosen today? Well, Michael, can I offer you some feedback? <laughs> the, the funny thing is, as soon as you say that, I tense up and I just, I don't think I'm ready for it. Well, see, this is the point. So, great article. Lauren McNamara wrote this one from Umbrella. Does the advertising industry have a problem with negative feedback? Now, this came from InOcean and B Corp agency Paper Moose to pose that question to Adland, and it was chiefly geared at creatives. So it, it's about feedback, but specifically in the realm of creatives and how feedback is given and whether or not that is troubling to mental health. So it's a really serious issue. Uh, so where do you stand on this? Because uh, it is really about a survey, just trying to establish kind of whether people know within Adland know how to give feedback in a constructive way. Because the, the way that I read it was that there might be a tendency to kind of default to negative and to just hammer someone and to pick apart somebody's contribution rather than try and present maybe th that feedback in a more constructive manner. Is that how you read it? Yeah, I did. And look, I hope that this survey is revelatory. I hope it brings out some really good discussions, not just for creatives, but for everybody. I think constructive feedback is one of the most precious things that friends, colleagues and workmates can do for each other. And where it works well, it can be absolutely career changing and create winning teams. And where it doesn't work well, it can cause real problems. And some of those are, are very personal. Now, Adam, this is not the first time that you and I have discussed feedback. We've worked together for quite some time and you have talked to me in the past about the importance of giving, well, it's not a compliment sandwich, is it? It's, a, it's, it's like <laughs> no, the, it's the it's four to one ratio, is it? It's kind of like a, a, fist, a fist of feedback, <laughs> which is a term that I'm really not sure is going to catch on. No, and it probably shouldn't. So... That is from a Harvard Business Review survey into winning teams, and it showed that high-performing teams have a minimum feedback ratio of four positive to one constructive. So really, that's about four positive affirmations that someone's doing a job well to one that they need to think about again or do differently. And if you consider all the work responsibilities that any employee has, they are doing hundreds of things, probably each day. And they are making thousands of decisions about how to do them. So when you get good feedback that you've done something well, it's not only righteous, it helps. And when you do something that perhaps doesn't go well, given that you've already had this good feedback and know that people are supporting you, 
that means that that constructive feedback comes from a different place and it's appreciated more. So the Harvard Business Review survey was around winning teams to a minimum of four positive to one constructive. In the highest performing teams, it can be up to eight to one. Oh, really? Yeah. So imagine your workplace and what's it like? Do you get told you're doing a great job often? Do you know when you're doing the right thing? Or are you perhaps told when you could do something better and how to do it better? Really, feedback should not, as it did with you, make everyone feel like, oh, tense up, some bad news is coming. It should really be, okay, try and be curious. What can I do well? Or what did go well that I can learn from? So it's not a, a like a, a free character assessment. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a different kind of feedback, isn't it? Look, I've been on both sides of this before. And, and you talking about this makes me realize as well of how poorly I've handled situations in the past. And uh, and this was going back a number of years where I had some constructive feedback to provide to somebody, but I focused solely on that constructive feedback. And they did a dozen other things well, and I focused only on the thing that they needed to do better. Mm. And as soon as I, I finished it, I'm like, that did not go very well. And, and I knew immediately why that was. And if I was to put myself in their shoes that would just be demoralizing. It would be really awful to to think that everything that you have done well and all the positive elements of what you have done have been overlooked and overshadowed just by the one thing that needed improvement. So it was no surprise to me in hindsight as to why it, uh, why it went poorly. So I, I get the importance of the, the four to one ratio. And the other thing is that when it comes to creative content, it does feel like there is a tendency to to almost default to criticism. And my only experience really of this is having recently published a novel and suddenly you're putting something out there that you have worked on and that you've put a lot of yourself into and a lot of your ideas and a lot of your time and a lot of your work and a lot of emotion goes into it as well. And then for perhaps the one in 100 kind of reviews that only focus on the negative and that they just kind of rip and tear. And you go, all right, they have come at this from the approach of they are only going to point out the things that they did not like. And that one out of 100 reviews is the one that stays with you. Mm, It's so important. Yeah. And 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 it can be quite demoralizing and quite upsetting. So I actually think this is a really interesting survey that is being done to see whether this is potentially contributing to some mental health challenges that exist within the industry. That was quite a long monologue for me. Yeah, I I know that it's very heartfelt because you you can empathise with people who are receiving feedback and particularly constructive feedback. But imagine if that was done publicly and done without respect to humiliate someone. And so often we hear of and or see in creative ideas that it is a battle and it's almost an argument as to why one idea is better than another. And that really, I don't think is logical. You know, in the competition to get the best idea, competition is worthy, but it shouldn't be a battle, right? And it shouldn't require denigrating the source of the idea to do so. Because really, every idea has merit. Someone has put in thought, effort, 
even a bit of heart and soul to coming up with something that creates a solution. So respect that. And so I'd love to think that that's where most creatives are getting feedback. And in fact, to this point, and this is the work that InOcean and Paper Moose are doing through the survey, I hope this is applicable not just to creatives, to every role, right? Because feedback should be consistent no matter what you're doing in a team. And I really think that it's worthwhile giving consideration to calling it the fist of feedback because it is (laughs) four to one ratio, just like the hand. I think we'll include that in the pool of ideas, Michael. (laughs) You're finding it very hard to find something positive to say about that idea, aren't you, Adam? (laughs) So far, yes. (laughs) We we shall move on with some haste, I think. Uh, (laughs) I have a story. It is only going to be a very brief story because we are running out of time this afternoon, Adam, Mm. but it is upfront season. Oh, yes. Which is very exciting. It's it's it an is. exciting time of year when media companies get up in front of kind of media buyers and agencies and clients and everyone and tell them all what is coming up. And, and so earlier this week, uh, Mamma Mia held its upfront and our, our colleague Lauren went along on behalf of Mumbrella and you can see an excellent report by her on the website. Uh, there are a bunch of things that came out of that one in terms of the podcasts that Mamma Mia is planning to introduce next year and as well a, a real push into fitness with a new app that is being developed by Mamma Mia uh, and also really curated travel content as well. So a real travel focus for the brand. So these kind of events are really interesting to see what is coming up from a content kind of perspective. Now this evening is one of the big ones. Nine is holding its upfront this evening. Darcy Song is there from Umbrella. We'll have full coverage tomorrow morning on everything that is announced. Next week, you've got YouTube and a group of smaller independent publishers. SBS and Foxtel are both next month at seven as well next month, which is a very big event as part of uh, South by Southwest. Adam, why have upfronts become so important? Because it feels like they are such big events now. And from a content perspective, I know it's a chance obviously to make some noise and put some titles on the agenda. But what about that relationship between media companies and their clients? So this is one of the biggest business to business engagements that any media brand has. And not everyone can afford to or does choose to do upfronts. But for 7, 9, 10, CBS, for YouTube, for Mamma Mia, for all these significant media brands, it is not just about their content or their programming. It's also about the sales solutions that they can offer clients and the technology that they use to support that. So it's probably the closest thing to a customer engagement of all types, not just the audience, not just advertisers, but all your business-to-business relationships. And so you get a night like this right if everything goes well if you announce something new and some content that people are really interested in, that can be a profound difference for your company. And not to put too much pressure on it, but it can be that important. And does that become even more important in this economic climate at the moment when we know what is happening with advertising budgets and ad spends at the moment, that it really emphasises the need to create that meaningful connection? Uh, yes, absolutely. So when budgets are tighter, Typically, what you've got to do is still get your goals, but with a bit less resources in your at your disposal. And so what you have to do is choose partnerships, probably fewer that you know are going to work. So in that atmosphere, doing these upfronts well and being one of those chosen partners is even more important. Adam, we've been to upfronts before. Uh, yes. And 
usually they are very big, very splashy, very flashy affairs. Mm. The, the food and the drink is great and the entertainment is fantastic. And I remember one a few years ago with Nine even had a roller coaster <laughs> inside the room. <laughs> Do you really think that that kind of thing helps with the cut through or is it just a, is it just a bit of fun? Well, here we are talking about it, right? So that's a bit of cut through <laughs> still, right there. Still talking about it five years after the fact, <laughs> yep. Yeah, but to me, no, but I don't represent every attendee, <laughs> thank God, <laughs> you know. So the event means different things to different people, of course, and everyone will be excited by different things, whether it's something tactile, you know, going on that roller coaster, seeing a band perform a DJ, engaging with content and presenters or hosts and actors of shows can be different. There, there is really something for everybody. And that's really, I guess, the scale of what people are trying to achieve is in all those business to business partnerships, how can they make those connections deeper? I imagine having it at the 10 up fronts, a real live shark tank where there's actual <laughs> sharks in the tank. With Arthur Fonzarelli jumping over the shark tank. Perfect. Once again, Adam, we have turned this podcast into a brainstorming session and we are coming up with some fantastic ideas that will probably not be adopted. But anyway, there's not much we can do about that. We are about to wrap things up, but we need to give a very quick mention of the Mumbrella Publish Awards, which are on tomorrow night. Yes, at Dalton House, Jones Bay Wharf, Good luck to all the finalists and you've won just by getting to this point. And so congratulations on great work and best of luck to everybody. Well said. That is all we have time for today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Michael. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything that we've talked about, plus a whole lot of other great reading. Thank you very much for your company. See you next time.